Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. The Judeo-Christian worldview gives you the problem within, helps you to change, and teaches you how to live compassionately in a culture that where there may be disagreements with what you choose. Welcome back to Just Thinking. The issue of identity is one that many people struggle with, and in today's culture, it's often talked about in reference to one's sexual identity. Today, we're sharing with you a Q&A series from Hamilton, Canada, where Robbie Zacharias is joined by colleague Sam Alberry as they answer questions on identity. From how the Bible's commands for holiness impact one's approach to personal morality and how Christians should interact with their LGBT neighbors in an increasingly polarized society. Join us as we hear compelling answers to these questions. I'm going to ask Ravi and Sam to make their way to the platform at this point in time, and they will be joined by Logan Gates. Logan Gates is also an itinerant minister with uh, Ravi Zacharias International Ministries, and he will be our moderator for our question and answer time. Uh, Ravi and Sam, the first question I'd like to ask you is, you know, I understand you speak on these topics quite often, uh, and this topic of identity in particular. What would you each say is the biggest misconception you find when you're speaking to people, the, the misconceptions they have when it comes to this topic of identity? There are several of them, Logan. Oftentimes they're raised from within the context of their culture. For example, in Tokyo, the first question was, we are a culture of harmony. Uh, how can the gospel really bring harmony here when we want to not live with any dissonance with anyone else? The misconception there was that harmony is an exterior thing. You can somehow legislate, you can conform, you can do things outwardly, uh, but the failure to understand that the discord is actually within. And uh, the Greeks tried a harmonious culture, the United States has tried a pluribus unum, uh, but the fact of the matter is universities were created to find unity in diversity. Universities don't provide unity in diversity, the disciplines are not connected at all. The reason is we need to find unity and diversity within. So the misconception often is that somehow uh, the Christian faith uh, takes you out of uh, reality into a realm of uh, some dream world, an idealism that you cannot really live out. Or if you have deep convictions on certain matters, be they sexual or truth-telling or whatever, that you are going to be a nuisance in this culture. You are going to be dictating for me whatever I need to be doing. It is a complete reverse. Sam was right on. Uh, when you encounter the living Christ, you find out not only does he change what you do, but he changes what you want to do. And that, I think, is the key to what transformation is all about. So yes, the Christian worldview is a counter-perspective, but I think we look upon it as some kind of a killjoy and it's going to just bring more and more problems within our culture. It's not so. The Judeo-Christian worldview gives you the problem within, helps you to change, and teaches you how to live compassionately in a culture that where there may be disagreements with what 
you choose. For example, in the pantheistic worldview, it becomes an individual journey. You're seeking your nirvana, you're doing your meditation, you're doing your reflection, you're doing whatever it is that takes for you to attain moksha or nirvana, whatever. It's a personal pilgrimage. The Judeo-Christian worldview is not just a personal thing. It's a corporate thing. It puts you right back into your culture and you make a difference. So when you're the salt and you're the light, you are actually dealing with the culture that is uh, surrounding you. So to me, the misconception is what the Christian world entails, which is often not really what the Judeo-Christian worldview is all about. Thank you, that's helpful. Sam, how about you? Um, I think for, for me, that a similar misconception is that actually, if I go in with Jesus and start following him, I'm gonna become less myself. And one of the great, beautiful paradoxes of the Christian faith is that actually, the Jesus who says, deny yourself, in the process of denying yourself and following him, you become yourself. You become the you that God first designed you to be and, and intended for you to be. So it's, it's a beautiful thing. I don't know how God does this, but if you take a, a group of Christians and you make them all more like Jesus, they will become more like Jesus without necessarily becoming more like each other. Because actually in the, in the process of following Jesus, we become our... our the unique, special, individual selves that God first intended us to be. So following Jesus doesn't deplete you, and actually it makes you more you than you could ever have been otherwise. Can I add one more footnote yes, to that? Please. Speaking from going back over the years in my own life, and now what I see in the young, they have assumed that there are no answers. That is one of the greatest misconceptions with which we come that there are no answers. You can ask your questions, there are no answers out there. And when we see what the answers of Jesus actually are, that he both justifies the question and gives you the answer, uh, you're fascinated by the fact that the answers are real, they are tangible, they are existentially felt, and that they are logically coherent. I think the greatest journey in life is between the head and the heart that how you think and how you live and how you feel. So if any one of you here thinks there are no answers, uh, I hope you'll reconsider that because in the answers of Jesus, he respects both your mind and your heart. And I think the answers are very real, whether it's on origin or meaning or morality or destiny, the four basic questions of life. The assumption often is there are no answers out there. And I think the answers of Jesus are very real. Um, hi, Sam, thank you for sharing your story and what Jesus did in your life. Um, because the conversation of sexuality can be so uncomfortable for whoever, like both parties that are talking, I'm wondering what are your recommendations for us engaging in conversations that are actually fruitful? Um, whether the party is Christian and a non-Christian or there are people who identify as hey, uh, gay, bisexual, transgender, um, even hermaphrodites or any, any of that type. Thank you, you're certainly right. It's, it's, it's a very, very sensitive issue to, to be discussing. Today we, we tread on very, very sensitive ground when we start to, to discuss these kinds of issues. I think one of the most important things we need to do is, is is to learn to listen really well. And so not make assumptions about the person who's standing before us, but, but let them give a good account of their own understanding to us before we, we try to respond. So I, I know for myself, I love listening to people's stories. When if, if someone is happy to share how they've got to where they are, 
That's always going to be interesting. But it also helps me to think, okay, I can, I can begin to make sense now of some of the things that you're saying and, and why these things mean what they do to you. And it, it just gives me a sense of, of where I might begin in trying to share something of the message of Jesus. So my, my foundational assumption is that it's going to be wonderful for anyone to come to know Jesus Christ, whoever they are. He's, there is no one that Jesus is not good news for. But the more I understand someone, the more I feel like I know them, the more of a sense I'll have of, of where I might start, where, where that first step towards Jesus Christ might be. So listening well, trying to hold people in, in high regard and deep respect. We, we've heard it from, from Ravi this evening. God values every single human life and say there is no excuse ever for being demeaning or rude or flippant with someone, particularly with issues that, that are felt so deeply as this. Um, I was recently watching a convocation where a professor had spoken about the fact that the Bible never referred to homosexuality as a noun, but only um, yeah, as a verb, as an action word. And um, my question to you is, um, is it okay for a Christian to identify uh, as homosexual, providing that they're not practicing uh, uh, homosexuality? Let me say a couple of general things before I, I try to answer the specifics. The, the first general thing is that the, the teaching of Jesus by implication shows us that all of us are, are broken in this area of life. So this isn't an issue that is just specific to one subset of people. This is, this is something all of us have to come to terms with. Um, the fact is that, that our sin taints every area of life and that includes our sexuality. So all of us actually are, are disordered and broken in this area of life and therefore all of us need to, to come to Christ to learn how to follow him. There are going to be certain desires that we're going to need to say no to, certain things that we're going to be needing to seek forgiveness for. So that the gospel does level the playing field on that issue. And whether we are attracted to men or, or women or both, we're disordered in this area of life. Um, the way that disorder manifests itself in our lives will vary from person to person. If we're Christians, we know that our identity is not found in those particular feelings. Mm -hmm. um, they, they're not, they're, they're significant, they can often be very, very deep, they can feel very personal, but they are not the core of our identity. And so I don't think it's, it's healthy for a Christian to use uh, the language of, of that kind of temptation and to make it their identity. And mm -hmm. uh, that, that may address the, the first part of the question in terms of the, the noun versus the verb. One of the great things about being a follower of Jesus is that not everything that describes me defines me. That's liberating. Mm -hmm. And especially my temptations. The second part of the question, I, I would say, it's not just a distinction between having certain feelings and acting on them, because actually, Jesus says it's not just about our physical behavior, it's about our, our heart and our attitude. So he says in the Sermon on the Mount that even if you 
look at someone with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. So it's not enough for us to say, well, I, I entertain all of these thoughts in my mind, but as long as I never give them physical expression, I'm okay. Jesus says actually that the battle for godliness, the battle for obedience is in our minds, it's in our hearts. So the issue is, I think, the distinction is, is not necessarily between having feelings and acting on them so much as having temptations and yielding to them. Mm-hmm. All of us experience temptation. The vast majority, if not all of us, will experience some forms of sexual temptation. Uh, we know that when we experience temptation, we're, we're to flee it, we're to remain faithful. Uh, there are certain thoughts we're not to we're not to indulge it, we're not to to give space to in our hearts and minds. And again, that is the case for, for every single one of us. As Sam Albury just said, the battle for godliness and obedience is in our hearts, not just our minds. If you're interested in finding more content from our team on the topic of identity, we encourage you to check out our website at rzim.org or rzim.ca for those in Canada. And you can order this Q&A series by calling us at 1-800-448-6766 and asking for the title, Hamilton Open Forum. Just Thinking is a listener-supported radio ministry and is furnished by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia. 